Blog Talk Radio. program has been assessed a threat level red by the Department of Homeland Security. Mr. Snyder, 
Conservative Watchtower Radio is on the air. Where we keep watch over our Constitution, free markets, private property, and individual liberty. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. But that was... Awesome. <laughs> Unfortunately, you've grown up hearing voices that incessantly warn of government as nothing more than some separate sinister entity that's at the root of all our problems. Some of these same voices also do their best to gum up the works. They'll warn that tyranny is always lurking just around the corner. You should reject these voices. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Now, here's your award-winning host, Dana Smearman. Speak of the devil, and he shall appear. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green eyed Look for trouble, but I never ran. I don't take no orders, no kind of man. I'm only made out flesh, blood, and bone. But if you're gonna start a rumble, don't you try it all for trouble, you've come to the right place. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it's me, your humble, sometimes sober, always entertaining host, Dana Smearman. This is the return of the conservative Watchtower Internet Radio Extravaganza, broadcasting live from the conservative Watchtower studios deep within the low country of South Carolina. I am the president of the 
South Carolina chapter of the Sons of Liberty. Let's get it going. How have y'all been? Hope you've been good. Hope life's been treating you well. A lot of things have happened since the last time I've come to the airwaves, the interwebs, however it is. Lots of things to talk about, lots of things to get into. This program is going to be, well, what it normally is, a little rabble-rousing. You know, I kind of want this episode to go and, and invoke the kind of emotions I had the other day when I went to see uh, the film American Sniper. I want you to feel patriotic, angry, inspired, sad, all of it together, because quite honestly, the state of our nation is not great. We all know that. That's why we do what we do. We attempt to inform and entertain and try to get the message out. And tonight, it's my turn. I've been holding all this stuff inside for months and months at a time. Time to get a little cleansing. Time to get a little clearing out. And that's what we're going to do on the program tonight. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about the state of disunion speech, the Marxist socialist propaganda. We're going to talk about the establishment wimps that are lining up to run for president of this United States of America. We're going to talk about all the false controversies that have been propping up everywhere. Talk about all of that. We're going to talk about what it really means to be an American tonight. It's different for everybody, I realize, but I know there are some things we can't agree on. How about liberty? Freedom for all? That would be a good place to start, don't you think? Yes, it's been a long time. So many things have happened since I've been on the last time. There's been so much. I mean, it's kind of the same stuff that always happens, right? We got a little race baiting. You got a little more government programs being proposed. You got a little more Republicans retreating to the rocks in which they climb out from under. I mean, we've had an election, right? We have all kinds of things going on. Where shall we start tonight? Well, let's start with my drink of choice tonight. That's right. It's Glamorangi Highland Single Malt Whiskey. You feel free to drink whatever you like. Pour a favorite glass. Sit back. Let's begin. Let's start with Obama, shall we? I know it's an easy target. I know it's kind of easy. It's like picking on the special needs kid, but it must be done. We've got to do it. got to talk about it. You know, I didn't force myself to watch the whole state of disunion speech. I mean, I can only take so much after all. But I did catch the highlights. I catch the highlights. And what the highlights are is the same stuff we've been hearing for a long time. Lots of promises, lots of class warfare claptrap, lots of division, because let's be honest, that's all this guy has to sell. Now, from what I understand, getting the highlights, we now owe people in this country uh, a free community college education. Have I got that right? Free community college education? I mean, it's not that we're giving away everything else. Right? We're not giving away food and housing, clothing. It's not we're doing that. We're not giving people all enough. Right now, we've got to give them a community college education. Now, I know what you're thinking. Where in the world do we have money for free community college education? Well, all you've got to do is tax the rich. That's all you've got to do. It's really simple. When you live in Obama land, all you've got to do is find a rich person and fleece them. That's right, he's going to raise taxes on the dreaded 
the top income earners in America. That's how he's going to pay for his scheme, his community college scheme. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. Now, he assures us that he's going to pay for all of this with, with of course, with new taxes. He's not going to add to the debt. Let me say that again. I know, try not to laugh, try not to spit your drink. He's not going to add to the debt, to the massive debt that this nation finds itself in. So I went out and I did a little research, as I want to do in these cases. I went to the Weekly Standard blog. A writer there, Daniel Halper, you probably know him. You probably read some of his stuff. He puts it all very concisely about what's happened to the debt under this President Barack Hussein Obama. We now know that 7.5 trillion, with a T, dollars of debt has been added since Obama has been President of the United States. Think about that number for a second. 7.5 trillion dollars. He points out the total debt under Obama as of January 14, 2014, was $10.6 trillion. $10.6 trillion. As a matter of fact, the amount added to the national uh, the debt since the 2000 State of the Union, where President Barack Obama said he would not leave a mountain of debt for our children, since that time, he's added $4 trillion dollars to the debt. Now, back on the campaign trail, back in July of 2008 at an event in Fargo, North Dakota, then-presidential candidate Barack Obama said that it was completely unpatriotic that George W. Bush had left this country with $1.8 trillion in debt. That was unpatriotic. As we know, just the cost of Obamacare's cost of its coverage is going to cost $1.3 trillion. We know this. There's more frightening numbers out there, too. While we're talking about free community college for all Americans, we know that there's nearly a – I can't – this number is amazing. Nearly a trillion dollars, over $900 billion in total student debt that is already held by the populace of this country. $900 plus billion dollars in student debt that is already held from people going to school to get jobs that they can't find in the Obama economy. I mean, this stuff would be laughable, ladies and gentlemen, if the, if the stakes weren't so high. If it didn't affect our families, our children, our grandchildren, if it didn't affect our bottom line, our well-being, this would actually be funny. The total taxes in Obamacare alone come to $95 billion. The cost of new regulations since Obama's become president, nearly $60 billion in those costs. The average amount of debt added every day since Obama became president is $3.4 billion. The average number of people on food stamps in 2014, 13 million. And of course, we've had over 2.6 million people fall into poverty under this president. 
But yet, we are supposed to believe that yet more programs, including daycare, free college education, while that's not going to add to our debt, it's not a problem, we're just going to tax the top 1%. It's not a tax the top 1%. And as you guys know, we're supposed to think of these top 1%, these top income earners, as the boogeymen. Oh, excuse me, let me be politically correct. Boogie women, too. How about boogie person? We don't want to upset anybody in this politically correct world in which we live in. We are supposed to hate the top income earners. We are supposed to find them to be the evil, the boogeyman in the closet. Who are these people? Who are they? What, I mean, they must be completely millionaires and billionaires. They're not paying their fair share. We're being told this every day. They're not paying their fair share. Well, I've got some figures. Some research has been done. I think it's fair to share numbers. Don't you like statistics and numbers? Of course you do. You're a conservative. You like facts. The top 1%, that dreaded top 1% that we hear about, we're talking about those who pay taxes in this country. The top 1% of income earners are those who own, or own, yeah, earn about $380,354 per household. If, you, or if your household earns $159,619, you're in the top 5%. If your household earns over $113,799, you're in the top 10%. And if your household earns over 67280 you're in the top 25%. Congratulations. And if your household has an income of over $33,048, you're in the top 50%. Congratulations. You thought they were going after the Koch brothers. You thought they were going after those people in Hollywood, those NBA and NFL superstars. I uh, got news for you, folks. You are the ones in their crosshairs. We are told time and time again that these folks, these top income earners, don't pay their fair share. We're just looking for their fair share. We just want them to have a little skin in the game. The top 1%, the top 1% pay 38% of all federal income taxes. 48%, or should be 38% of all income taxes. The top 50%, that means anybody earning 33000 to 380000 they're going to pay 97.3% of all federal income taxes. Seems to me that those people that are out there being productive out there trying to make a living, out there trying to take care of their families, they are paying their fair share. Not only are they paying their fair share, they're paying someone else's fair share. I am so sick and tired of the games. I am so sick and tired of the games. The same claptrap over and over and over again. We're going to tax this group and give it to this group. You earn too much money. 
We've decided that you are too successful. We've decided that this group is aggrieved and they must have some of what you have. I don't know about you folks, but when I'm out at work, working a 12-hour night shift from 7 p. to 7 a.m., I don't see any of these folks with me on the work site. They're not assisting me doing my job. But yet they're sure as hell there when it comes time to divvy up the money every couple of weeks. We're told the economy has rebounded. We're told, look out there. It's all great. Now, not to mention that this administration has cooked the books by redefining what employment, full-time employment, actually is, by not counting people who've simply given up looking for work. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. It's all gravy. It's all good. Everything's fine. Yeah, don't, don't mind that we are actually promoting the same kind of policies that caused the housing bubble that we already went through. We're, we're still promoting those kind of policies on the federal level. Don't pay attention to that. Please don't pay attention to the nearly $1 trillion in student debt that I mentioned earlier. Another bubble, that's getting ready to burst. And if it doesn't burst, there's talk that in 2016, one of the major Democrat talking points is going to be about forgiving student loans, wiping them off the books, so that you, the taxpayer, can eat another trillion dollars. What the hell, right? It's only money. After all, we can just print some more. The laws of economics will catch up to us, and I believe it's going to be sooner rather than later. The great part about all this is, most likely, the great tragedy will happen long after Obama and Harry Reid, which, by the way, didn't he look funny with his freaking eye patch? <laughs> yeah, just saying. After all these people are long gone, then the tragedy will befall. And then some poor doofus, most likely a Republican, will be in office, and they're going to catch the blame for what these people have done. I mean, I hear all the time, the Obama apologists, they're the ones who tell us all the time, look, he inherited the worst economy in history. I mean, my God, it was the worst recession, everything. You hear this constantly. We hear it all the time. I mean, he inherited this massive Bush recession, and the world was on fire, and my God, the, the whole financial system was going to implode. What'd you expect him to do? I mean, my God, look where we're at now. It's fantastic. Except statistically, I know here I go again with those damn facts. I know people hate this. But since some of us weren't born 15 years ago, some of us were a little bit older, and we remember a time called the 1970s when things really, really sucked. I'm not just talking about bell bottoms and the Bee Gees. I'm talking things really sucked. Things like, well, how about stagflation? How about oil embargoes? Lines at the gas station? The Captain and Tennille. Do I have to go on? The 70s sucked. 
We had Jimmy Carter after we came off of Gerald Ford, which then was preceded by Richard Nixon, the grandfather of all of this great stuff, like the EPA, right? All of this stuff, the 70s sucked. And at the end of the 1970s, going into the 1980s, we had a, we had a massive recession. I know I was alive. I remember my parents having a mortgage where the interest rate was like 19%. I mean, the mob charged less than 19% to borrow money. It sucked. Yeah, RZI, RZI, it was correct. There was good dope in the 70s. I stand corrected. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you the good dope, but the rest of it sucked. Okay. So the 1980s rolls around. We have a massive recession going on. We're living through the Carter years. <laughs> another appeaser. Another person who didn't recognize radical Islam when it slapped him in the face. America came to its senses and elects a guy by the name of Ronald Reagan. You know, bedtime for Bonzo, the failed actor. You know, the way the left describes him. Right? Kind of dumb, kind of old, senile. You remember Ron, right? Ronald Reagan in 1981, faced a much worse economic problem. This according to a very fine gentleman named Peter Ferrara, worked for Reagan, great economist, worked with a guy by the name of Art Laffer, supply-side economics, anyone? Right? You might remember this. Peter Ferrara wrote a great article on Forbes, and he talks about what Reagan actually inherited at the beginning of the 1980s. He talks about 1981, Three worsening recessions starting in 1969 were about to culminate in the worst of all in an 81 to 82 recession with unemployment soaring into double digits with a peak of 10.8%. At the same time, America suffered roaring double-digit inflation with a CPI registering, that being the Consumer Price Index, registering at 11.3%. In 79, 13.5 in 1980, going up 25% in two years. Establishment at the time argued that inflation was now was, no, I'm sorry, endemic to the Amer American economy and could not be stopped, at least without calamitous economic collapse. You guys went through the 70s, remember Gerald Ford's win or whip inflation now buttons. Because it was like inflation was a mindset, man. We can whip it, whip it good, right? All of the above was accompanied by double-digit interest rates with a prime rate peaking at 21.5% in 1980. The poverty rate started to increase in 1978, eventually climbing to an astounding 33%. A fall in median family incomes began in 1978, snowballed to a decline of almost 10% in 1982, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 70% of its real value, reflecting an overall collapse of stocks. What did President Reagan do? Did he call for TARP? A stimulus program? Did he call for free college education? Free daycare? Did he call for an increase in the SNAP program? Did he suggest maybe, I don't know, socializing medicine? Is that what he did? Or did President Reagan embrace free market ideas? 
If you said B, you're a winner. Take a drink. Congratulations. President Reagan had campaigned on that very ideal. He explained it in a very articulate manner to the American people. First, we cut tax rates. We restore the incentive for economic growth. He did that with a reduction the first time from a top income tax rate of 70 down to 50 and then to 25% across the board reduction in tax rates from anybody. The 1986 tax reform then reduced tax rates further, leaving just two rates at 28 and 15%. Lovely, huh? Spending reductions, including $31 billion in spending cuts in 81, close to 5% of the federal budget at that time, or the equivalent of about $175 billion in spending cuts for the year today. In constant dollars, non-defense discretionary spending declined by 14.4% from 81 to 82 and 16.8% from 81 to 83. This is even including one of the biggest military buildups during the Cold War that America had seen since World War II. Then comes the real deal, the anti-inflationary monetary policy, restraining the money supply, Right? Maintain a strong, stable dollar. Also included was deregulation. I know that scares the hell out of the libs. Deregulation. They think of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome when they think of deregulation. But deregulation, it saved consumers an estimated $100 billion per year in lower prices. Reagan's first order was to eliminate price controls on oil and natural gas. Production soared. And aided by a strong dollar, the price of oil declined by more than 50%. Not the decline you're seeing now, which is actually kind of scary in economic terms. These economic policies amounted to the most successful economic experiment in world history. The Reagan, recovered, Reagan recovery started in official records in November 1982 and lasted 92 months without a recession until July of 1990, when the tax increases of the 1990 budget deal killed it. This set a new record for the longest peacetime expansion ever, the previous high being 58 months. During the seven-year recovery, the economy grew by almost one-third, the equivalent of adding the entire economy of then West Germany. In 1984 alone, real economic growth boomed by 6.8%, the highest in 50 years. Nearly 20 million new jobs were created during the recovery, increasing U.S. civilian employment by almost 20%. Unemployment fell to 5.3% by 1989. It was these policies that led to real per capita disposable income increasing by 18% from 82 to 89, it led to prosperity, to job creation, and to a 25-year economic boon unlike this country had ever seen. And what are we doing now, ladies and gentlemen? Why can't anybody, besides a few, I shouldn't lump everybody, why is the majority of the Republican Party unable to articulate the facts? to present an argument against what this man does. Why is it that we listen to Spengali's like Carl 
freaking Rove. Yeah, I know you were waiting for it, folks, on my program to beat up on Karl Rove. You had to expect it was coming. We have invested our hopes and dreams in Karl Rove? Who the hell cares what Karl Rove and his ilk think? How can you not defend an actual record of a president who won two landslide elections? We saw so much economic growth during the 1980s. It boomed into the 1990s as well. The creation of all of these tech companies, all sorts of innovations. And by the way, we kicked the hell out of the Soviet Union. That's just for, I don't know, icing on the cake? This is what's capable if you have an articulate conservative in charge of the nation. This is what happens when you have someone who believes in true free market principles who's in charge. And not the same old people we see rolling out. This past week it was disheartening to watch as the ne'er-do-wells, ne'er-do-wells I say, start lining up to see who's going to be the Republican nominee for president in 2016. And i got to see the same old people, right? we got to see the, the, fat, the, the fat boy from New Jersey. He's going to line up, see if he can yell at somebody. we got Jeb Bush. Oh, yeah. Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. Yeah. I know you're excited about a Jeb Bush presidency, aren't you? No, you're not. And no, is any, and there was, it just, what the hell? Well, we got we got them all lining up now. Maybe Mitt Romney. He's thinking about running again. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Meanwhile, while conservatives try to make a case in Washington, they're derided not only by the left but by the establishment types, by the very Speaker of the House who seemingly will cozy up to Barack Obama but wants to go to war with the Tea Party. Now, when they say Tea Party, folks, I want you to understand something. Even if you don't identify with the Tea Party per se, when they say Tea Party, they really mean you, the base, the average citizen. You don't know what's good for you, but they do. They're smarter than you are because they got elected a couple times. They're so condescending. You know, I was listening to uh, Southern Sense, Annie's show, earlier today. To illustrate the point, she has a guest on her first segment. Uh, this lady is a contributor to Fox into into I think the Financial uh, Times. I can't remember who the lady's name was because quite honestly I didn't care because she was one of these elitist establishment types telling us where we're wrong on everything. You the base. We got to embrace somebody like Jeb Bush. He's so good on policy. The man who wants to nationalize, even further nationalize our education system, he's so good at policy. Uh, Chris Kirstie took on the unions. Those are the guys that we need. Meanwhile, she's telling the rest of us, you know, hey, stay off the hot button issues. Shh, shh. don't talk about abortion. Uh, hey, separate the social and the fiscal issues. Uh, dummy, hello, is this on? Yeah, is it on? You can't separate the two. They're intertwined. That doesn't mean that you have to go out as a presidential candidate and have one of the planks in your platform be abortion, but I guarantee you at some point 
the left is going to bring it up. You better be prepared to articulate your position and make a case why, as a conservative, you believe in the sanctity of life. Protecting those who cannot protect themselves might be a good idea. Might be a little bit of a good idea. Okay, she tells us we can't talk about gay marriage. Okay. First of all, I can talk about it if I want to. How many here, just as a a quick survey, actually give a crap, right? The problem is this. The problem is this. Issues like marriage are not mentioned in our federal constitution. I know, I checked again. That means, according to my reading of the constitution, that marriage is an issue for states to decide. That's right. The states should decide. They get to set the terms on who gets to be married. But see, the problem is, when it comes to the federal government overstepping its bounds once again, is it gets involved in areas it has no business being involved in. So that's why, as a candidate, as a conservative, we have to get in the middle of these frays. Do you really want five members of the Supreme Court to decide for every state in the union who and how they should be married in each and every state? You know, I sure as hell don't want that. I have no problem with states who say, hey, gay marriage is okay in this state. Okay. The people who the representatives got together, pass a law, good for you. Good for you. But for those people in other states who don't see it the same way, they should have the right through their representatives to pass whichever law they see fit. But you see, we can't have that now, can we? We can't have the will of the people win the day. And then, of course, as the left is wont to do in their lust for tyranny, wrapped up in their so-called respect for the Constitution, they will invoke the 14th Amendment. Equal protection clause. Isn't it interesting now that every progressive idea can be wrapped up in the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment? I mean, if you think about it this way, why do we bother having the rest of the Constitution when simply we can invoke anything we wish now through the Equal Protection Clause? Now, being a student of history, I kind of remember the 14th Amendment as being part of those Civil War amendments designed (laughs) designed to help the newly free slaves enact their civil liberties. It wasn't intended to wrap itself around every progressive cause, it wasn't meant to give illegal immigrants the right to vote. It wasn't meant to jam gay marriage down every state. It wasn't meant for that. So when we're told, stay off those issues, how can we? Why can't we have the debate? I guarantee you that no matter if you try to avoid these issues, the left is going to bring it up. I know we all feel differently on these issues. I know we do. I know many people here have feelings that gay marriage is perfectly okay. That's fine. See, that's the wonderful thing about the conservative movement. We have differences. We're not lockstep like the left, man. 
We have many arguments, many intelligent arguments about positions, about legalization of drugs, about gay marriage. In all of those things, I say to you, most of those things should be handled by the states, should be handled by the people in those states, should be handled by the government that is closest to the people. The federal government should stick to its enumerated responsibilities. I know it's a radical idea, but why don't we give it a shot? Can we give it a shot? Are we allowed? Yeah, can we? Just asking. If I sound fired up, it's because, well, I am. If I sound angry, it's because I am. Because I hear this stuff all the time. We're told the same people can win. It's got to be one of these guys here. I mean, they're the only ones that can win. Except they never win. Except they never win. Mitt Romney was an unmitigated disaster, even though many of us, against our better nature, swallowed hard and voted for the man because we understood what four more years of a lame duck Barack Obama was going to mean. But there has to be a time in which we do draw the proverbial line in the sand and say, no more. They want to treat us as if we are second-class citizens. We, the conservative base. We, the libertarian movement. I asked the Republican Party. I asked those people who don't understand this apparently inside the Beltway, those Republican operatives, if you're going to reach out to people who now consider themselves to be independent, those people who consider themselves to be libertarian, how are you going to do it with these crop of candidates? Do you really think those people who are independent, slightly libertarian, maybe really hardcore libertarian, conservative, Tea Party, however they identify themselves, do you really think they're going to warm up to Jeb Bush? At what point has Jeb Bush talked about, even in some small way, reducing the overall footprint of the federal government? When has he said that? He has not, and he will not. He is a big government Republican. He doesn't mind the big government. He just wants to be the man to manage it. Just like Mitt Romney, just like John McCain, just like the rest of them. Fill in the blank. I'm not endorsing any particular candidate. It's too soon. It's too early in the process. I can tell you this. It's got to be someone who can articulate the kind of principles that this country needs because we don't have the time to get it wrong again. We can't afford another bad candidate. We can't afford the Democrats to slip through another lib, another Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren. I don't know who the hell they're going to put up or who's going to get to their primary process. We can't afford another liberal, whether it be a liberal Republican or liberal Democrat, to sit in the Oval Office. We cannot afford it. That's why I'm fired up. And that's what the establishment types, like the lady that was on Annie's show today, they don't understand how fired up we are. 
They don't experience what you and I experience every day. They don't go to work with us. They don't see our neighbors. They don't, they don't see our bills. They don't see the cost of what their programs do to us. And even if they did see it, I damn well don't think they would care. I don't think they would care. We have so many issues going on in this country today. You know, I wasn't on the air during the Ferguson, Missouri riots while our president stokes even more racial tension. While our own Justice Department stokes the fire of racial tension against police officers in this country. I see the weirdness that's going on. I get a nephew who's on Facebook. God bless him. He's actually a really intelligent kid, but misguided. He's into this whole, we don't need cops movement. Yeah, get rid of all policemen movement. Apparently he wants to live in a post-apocalyptic Mad Max world. I mean, I know in my own community, I live in a lovely community, by the way, I know how much crime goes on with the cops on duty. I can only imagine what's going to happen if we had no law enforcement whatsoever. That doesn't mean we can't have a serious discussion about overreach, about use of force. Of course we can. We're intelligent people. But come on, man. We're not anarchists. We believe in a rule of law. At least we should. And while all of this goes on, while we talk about Black Lives Matter, hashtag, because everything's a hashtag now. I can show my age because that same thing used to, be a, used to be a pound sign to me. Raise your hand if you know what a pound sign is. I know you do. If you're too young to know what that is, Google it. Okay? Google it. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. You know, when we have somebody get shot, like in Ferguson, Missouri, or Trayvon Martin, or whomever, we hear this all the time. We get the hands up stuff, right? Get the hands up stuff. We get the Black Lives Matter. We get the, you know, people coming out, cops are just assassinating black people left and right. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? May I say, I agree. Black lives matter. They do. All lives matter. But when I look at the statistics, the left liking to you know, roll themselves up and we care about you, the black community. We're concerned about your well-being. When you go to the CDC... They have an abortion surveillance report. <laughs> Isn't that awful, Big Brotherish? They do. It's called an abortion surveillance report. And for 2011, it shows that 117,293 black babies were aborted in this nation. Okay, I know that the lady who was on Andy's show is not listening. This is why social issues matter, okay? 117,293 black babies were aborted. If we go to the Uniform Crime Report of the Federal Bureau of Investigation for 2011, we see that 6,329 blacks were murder victims in that year. So if we do the statistics, we can see that for every black American in 2011 that was killed by a homicide, there were 19 blacks that were killed in abortion clinics across this country. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. 
And where are the so-called black leaders? I mean, we have our first black president. We know where he's at. He's either on a golf course or snubbing the Israeli prime minister, either one of those two activities, to talk about that. The so-called black leaders in our country, where are they at? Well, Al Sharpton, he's calling for an emergency meeting. Yes, he is. But he's calling for an emergency meeting because of the appalling condition of all white Oscar nominees. That, there's that story. Throw that right away. Al Sharpton calling for an emergency meeting because all the Oscar, uh, apparently all their uh, nominees are white. There you go. There, there you go. Inner cities crumbling, schools falling apart, gangs on the rise but we're concerned about all the Oscar nominees are white. Hey, there you go. You're going to ask yourself what's wrong with the country? All of this swirling around. And what has America been focused on low these last couple of weeks? What have they been focused on? Are they focused on the burgeoning debt problem? Are they focused on the fact the world seems to be on fire? And heading towards a World War III type of situation, uh, the, they worried about overreach from the federal government, executive orders, evisceration of the Constitution. No, they're worried about Tom Brady's balls. Yeah. The media seems to be focused on Tom Brady's balls. I have never seen anything like this fascination with the modern media over deflate gate. May you put me in the category of I don't care? The Patriots cheated. Shock? Not really. Not really. Actually, I take a different tack on this whole deflate gate thing, if I might. Isn't it just another incident of an organization with too much damn regulation? I mean, I've been involved in football, played the game, let the people have the football however they want it. 22 pounds, 12 pounds, 1 pound, I don't care. But the media every day, Deflategate, Tom Brady's balls, they're deflated. Right? That's what we're supposed to focus on. I mean, I turn on all the major networks doesn't matter which one. And I can guarantee you at the top of the hour, it's deflate gate. Deflate gate. Oh, God. I mean, let's just on a side note. Like this year's Super Bowl, I could care less. It's the most uninteresting matchup ever. I mean, I can't stand the smugness of the, New, of the New England Patriots. I don't like Tom Brady. Can't stand Bill Belichick. Don't like the Seattle Seahawks and their 9-11 truther head coach. So guess what? I'm going to play an old Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. It's going to be like one of the classic games. And ignore it. Just on a side note. But who cares? We're supposed to worry about the balls. they got us chasing our tails about issues. If it's not Deflategate, it's Snowmageddon. Snowpocalypse. The end of the world as we know it is coming to the East Coast. There's going to be snow in the wintertime. Who would have thought? 
snow in the wintertime. Yeah, I never would have saw that one coming. Couldn't have figured that one out. Ay, ay, ay. But perhaps the most disturbing controversy these past couple weeks has been about the motion picture American Sniper. Okay? American Sniper. Last week, my wife and I finally took the time out of our busy schedules to go see American Sniper. I can only tell you I have not been that moved at a motion picture in a long time. I told you it evoked every emotion possible. Intense pride of our military, patriotism, anger, pain, sorrow, all of it. In a, I have to say, one of the most well-done motion pictures I've seen in quite some time. And now I've got to hear the controversy swirling about the life of Chris Kyle, the aforementioned American sniper. I've got to hear the left and their controversy. I've got to hear the tweets of the big fat slob as Michael Moore, the pot-smoking comedian Seth Rogen, who does the same movie over and over again and makes millions. Congratulations. Welcome to America. They denigrate American heroes. The same way they did with Marcus Luttrell when Lone Survivor came out. But I found American Sniper to be even more powerful. We have to hear about this man's life, tearing this man's life apart. Wouldn't you have liked this media to have vetted Barack Obama half as hard as they're vetting Chris Kyle posthumously, I might add? I got news for you. I wasn't there. I didn't wear my nation's uniform. I didn't have to go into combat. And let me say, God bless every one of you who are or ever did for doing what you do to protect the interests of this nation. And to hell with anybody that criticizes you when you're in harm's way for doing what you have to do to get yourself and your brothers in arms home alive. I was moved by American Sniper. I'm sick and tired of hearing it's a pro-war movie. Let me tell you something. I've got a ton of war movies in the home video collection, and I can say one thing. There's been no well-done war movie that is pro-war. How is anybody pro-war? The most horrible thing mankind could ever conceive? Who wants to be pro-war? But to celebrate the bravery, the brotherhood, of the men and women who put on the uniform of our country, yeah, I think it's okay to do that. To understand the sacrifices that the families of those heroes make, yeah, I think it's okay. The left can't stand it because this movie's box office is going through the roof because apparently Americans still like their heroes. We're chasing the tail, right? We've got to look into Chris Kyle's life. Yeah, maybe, maybe he was imperfect. Yeah, probably was. But he was 10, 20, 30 times the man I will ever be. I will never be the man that Chris Kyle, Marcus Luttrell, or anybody else who fought in this war on terror and sacrificed. I'll never be half 
of the man or woman or person they ever will. And certainly, they are worth, I mean, I'll take off 2,000 of Chris Kyle's over the fat slob known as Michael Moore. Can I say that? I think I can. Because you see, Michael, this is the First Amendment that you like so much. It works both ways, fat boy. I am moved by the stories of men and women who put themselves in harm's way. And as we go to the first break tonight, I thought of long and hard about this. I thought this break coming up should be about a celebration of American military heroes. I know Annie does it on her show all the time, every week. Somebody, some hero she chooses, gives the biography, plays a little tribute. I want to dedicate this to anybody who's ever served in the armed forces of the United States. Anybody who has taken that oath, who stood in the way of evil, who stood up for me, even though they didn't know who the hell I was, I want to play this break for you. I'm inspired and in awe of those people who do incredible things. And also, I know it pisses the leftists off when we celebrate our country our military, and our pride. We don't have to agree on the war in Iraq. We don't have to agree about the politics. But we need to agree that the people who have fought low these many years deserve our respect and our admiration. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to play a little thing I put together, a little tribute to all those folks who have served. All those people who loved our country enough to put on the uniform. And when we come back, we'll finish up tonight's program. We'll rant and rave a little more. But now let's take a moment to remember Chris Kyle and Marcos Luttrell and every other person who's ever put on this uniform. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my salute to the troops. around you. In the 7th Cavalry, we got a captain from the Ukraine, another from Puerto Rico. We've got Japanese, Chinese, Blacks, Hispanics, Cherokee Indians, Jews and Gentiles, all Americans. Now here in the States, some men in this unit may experience discrimination because of race or creed but for you and me now all that is gone we're moving into the valley of the shadow of death where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours and you won't care what color he is or by what name he calls god they say we're leaving home. We're going to what home was always supposed to be. So let us understand the situation. We are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. 
But this I swear. Before you and before Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. Dead or alive, we will all come home together. So help me God. I'm just trying to be a father, raise a daughter and a son, be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone, up and down bright and early, I'm all business in my suit, yeah I'm dressed up for success, from my head down to my boots, I don't do it for the money, there's bills that I can't pay. I don't do it for the glory, I just do it anyway, providing for our futures, my responsibility, yeah I'm real good on the pressure, being all that I can be, I can't call in sick on Mondays when the weekend's been too strong, I just work straight through the holidays, sometimes all night long. You can bet that I stand ready When the wolf growls at the door Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady Hey, I'm true down to the core And I will always do my duty No matter what the price I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's asking me
That's right, everybody. Respect the American soldier. But wait, we're not done. Get your patriotism on, ladies and gentlemen, because I've always said, God bless America. If you feel like singing along with this next song, please do. It's okay. I'm going to. I'm going to turn the sound down, though. Ladies and gentlemen, for all the soldiers, for all of you, how about a little God bless America? Shall we? We're going to hear from some vets first right here. This is about now, the invasion of DJ. That morning about 2 or 3 o'clock, we ate breakfast. Getting ready to go to Normandy. Uh, Captain Fellows came to me and after he was briefed, and he said, Ray, we'll all be killed. He says, I told the battalion commander I could take one Browning automatic rifle and get on that cliff and keep any infantry company from landing there. And I could see the coastline, and it was uh, looked like a giant sunrise, just uh, it was just red and orange. And of course, it was uh, you could see the pulsating explosions on the beaches and, and inland, and you could hear the steady drone of the airplanes going over. It was about 6.15 in the morning when we dropped bombs into the English Channel trying to destroy the landing craft obstacles that were in the water. I could see all of the ships, the wakes in the water, all of the smaller boats as they were churning around getting ready to come in to the beach. Went on, loaded up, got on the uh, landing craft. There was 30 men to a, to a craft. I was on number five and Ray, my brother's on number two. Going in on the landing craft, it was terrible. The sea was rough. A lot of them got seasick. Some of the boats sank. We'd just start slamming into these big waves, and then water would just pour over in the front of these, you know, flat uh, landing craft. When they hit one of those big waves, it would just pour over into our laps and into the into the bottom of the boat. We had to take our helmets and to bail, start bailing water. And we was moving towards the beach when that boat hit a, an obstacle. It looked like about a two or three inch pipe sticking up for the water. It knocked a hole in the in the bottom, and uh, it sank within 20 minutes. As we were getting kind of near shore, somebody hollered, man, overboard. And we looked over the side of the board, and there was a soldier and a sailor, dead soldier and sailor, floating out to sea. And then we thought, you know, we're playing for keeps now. We hit the beach. And that's why we began to lose men. Everybody on the boat was killed, covered off. We got a crossfire machine gun up those cliffs, and they just cut us to pieces. And the only thing that saved me, I went off the side of the ramp. First man off, he went off the middle of the ramp, and that thing was bucking up and down, and the thing hit him in the head and killed him. I lost one man that morning. He was standing right next to me. He got his head cut off. A piece of shrapnel cut his head off. And they shot one, the first one that tried to run, and then they uh, met one of our medics went out to help him, and they shot the medic. And they were both like, screaming out there. And the beach was a terrible sight. The, the men were lying around, the equipment was wrecked. I, I just kept crawling among bodies. 
His body's all around, you know. And I stopped their body. I waited a long time before I moved at all. I understand the rest of them went in that morning. My brother and the rest of the company, it was 19 when Bedford got killed within about 15 minutes. They was, it was just slaughtered. And we were excellent. I mean, in, ter in excellent shape. I mean, we all of us, could, uh, we could run all day and, and climb. And we just got wiped out on the beach. All that train just went down the drain. Unfurl those flags, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Feel free to sing along. God bless America.
Indeed, God bless America, and God bless the military and their families who sacrifice so much in defense of this great nation. It truly can be said that no greater love hath a man than he would lay it down for his brother. I am inspired by men like Chris Kyle. I'm inspired by those people who set forth to protect us, whether they be military, law enforcement, the first responders, all of you. God bless all of you. God bless each and every one of you who do dangerous jobs. Sometimes you're not respected, you're not appreciated, but God bless you. You are truly what is best about this nation. You are truly what is best about this society. I am moved that there are people who would do the jobs they are asked to do. To protect us all, even though they don't know us, they've never met us. They stand on that wall. They stand in our stead. Thank you. Yes, I love this country. Am I allowed to say that in this politically correct age? I love our history. Damn it, I love being an American. I have been around the globe. I have never found another place I would want to be. I would never found another society that is great as this society. Man, I'll tell it to anybody who wants to listen. I'm going to tell you something. This is the greatest place on the face of the earth. The greatest society ever conceived by man rests here. Even with all of our faults, being that we are the human beings that we are, this is the greatest place, the greatest place on the face of the globe. I'm going to say it because our president can't. He can't talk about American exceptionalism. I can. This is an exceptional society. And I want to recognize some exceptional people who've taken time out of their Tuesday night to join this reprobate in the conservative watchtower. I'm going to run down the chat room. Yes, I will. First up is CO to the G. Always good to have you here. Doc is here. Echo Golf Dogs. Ron in the house. We got the great Holger Awakens. Yeah, you know, Holger's that one who finds it hard to have an opinion on stuff. You know him. He's always at a loss for words, that Holger. Lady Michelle, always lovely and always glad you're here. Melinda, glad to see you. The RZ, the RZ, my life sponsor, as you know, the man who uh, is responsible uh, for helping me out through some great stuff. He's also a great host of that little circus he's got going on over there on Friday nights. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's the Reactionary Speaks radio program. Caught last uh, last uh, Friday show. I'm trying to catch up. I'm like a week behind, RZ. But always good stuff with that panel. That panel you got going on over there. Then you've got the Red Fox. She is the infidel your imam warned you about. Yeah, those Islamists, they don't want no piece of the Red Fox. Our lovely friend from north of the border. We've got Smokey. We've got Brian in the house. Doing some great work of his own here on Blog Talk Radio. We've got Southern Sense. That's the radio chick, Annie. You know her. She and I live in the same community. We are walled in here in South Carolina, here in the lovely town of Beaufort. We've got Stephen Vandergast. You all know the voice in his Move the Middle program. You know him. He's provocative. 
And he's got that radio voice that everybody loves so much. And, of course, the lovely, haven't seen her in a while, but Deb, TP Nani here. Good to see you. Glad to have you back. Thank you all for spending part of your Tuesday night with me here in the Watchtower. Because I'm back, baby. I know. People are going to be upset about that. I used to love my hate emails. I hope they start coming again. I used to get a lot of them. You know, people just hate me. And I love it so much. I really, really do. Hey, by the way, i got a few other things I want to cover whilst we're still here. Whilst we're still here. I came across this article, and uh, I wanted to go over it real quick because I know many of you in the in the chat room tonight are white or a recovering white, and uh, you may need to know this. I found this on the Young Conservative website. It's a pretty good website, by the way. You know, the Washington Post came up, uh, apparently, white people suffer from unconscious racial bias against blacks. You probably didn't know this. I thought I would share it with you so you would understand the depth of your racism. In a recent article at the Washington Post, Chris Mooney writes that white Americans across the United States suffer from, quote-unquote, unconscious racial bias against blacks, and most don't realize they're a racist. You probably didn't realize you were a racist. And, you know, here at the Conservative Watchtower, we're all about helping. We're all about making you a better person. So, you know, maybe you're not uh, – me. you don't know that you're a racist, and I need to help you with this. This has been established through lots of research, says the aforementioned Chris Looney. I mean Mooney. Sorry. Uh, they're not joking, apparently. Uh, Mooney cites something called Project Implicit, which surveyed 1.5 million volunteers with the Implicit Association Test, the IAT. You've got to have it an acronym. It's never official unless you have it an acronym by the way, the Implicit Racial Association Test. The test is able to detect, and I quote, subtle or unconscious racial preferences. Yeah, you didn't know. They found a, psycholo- uh, see, they found a psychologist at Lehigh University to go along with the results, saying unconscious racial bias is higher in U.S. states in which there is a higher ratio of black citizens to white citizens. Or in other words, in which there are relatively more black people for every white person. And finally, they use this research to put together a map showing you which states are more unconsciously racist than others. And I know what you're saying. Which states are they? You might live in a state where there's a lot of unconscious racial bias going on. Okay? I'm going to help you out. The scale starts at 3.4 and goes all the way to 4.56. The closer you get to 0.456, the more unconscious, racist activity you have going on in your mind. You may be shocked to find out that states in the South, (laughs) like Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, and North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, and Kentucky – Well, they have the most unconscious racial bias. Whilst states that are more progressive, such as California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Massachusetts, and New York, of course, they are much more in tune with their unconscious racism and have got that kind of tapped out. Yeah. Okay? I want you to understand that because I don't want you to go around being an unconscious racist. you got to get that under control. I know you don't even realize that you don't. 
you don't like people of color. I know that. You probably say, wait a minute, I, I'm not a racist, but really you are because you haven't taken the implicit racist test. And really the test actually consisted of one question. It said, do you agree with the president's policies? If you said no, of course you're an unconscious racist. You just, you just didn't know it. Okay? You just didn't. Can we all agree that's the biggest load of crap you've heard? Huh? I mean, where do they get this stuff? Huh? I mean, where do they get this stuff at? And I, and I love how they wrap it up in all the scientific fervor and push it out to make sure that you know you're a racist. Because it's all about race. Everything in this country comes down to race, racial identity. It's a damn shame. If I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times. When the impending collapse comes, it's not going to know race, sexual gender, sexual association, political party. It's not going to know any of that. When it comes, it's coming for all of us. I think that's the ironic part of it all. This is where we find ourselves today, ladies and gentlemen, We're balkanized. You know, I keep hearing America is the most divided it's ever been. I don't know. There was a time in which we actually had a civil war. But once again, you know, I might be wrong on this. We're divided. We're balkanized because the people who supposedly lord over us want to make sure that we're at each other's throats. Because as long as we're at each other's throats, they can feel free to continue to rob us blind. The Karl Roves of the world can continue to get rich at the expense of the harmony of these United States of America. Now, seeing that we brought race into the equation, I guess we've got to talk about immigration, don't we? guess we have to. It's a hot-button issue, so let's push that button. We hear a lot about immigration. We know that the President of the United States, with his pen and his phone, issuing uh, presidential edicts, Executive orders that are just going to grant amnesty, we're just going to tell people they're citizens because I'm Barack Obama and I said so. And so you, the American people, sick and tired of executive orders, presidential overreach, wanting some sanity in our immigration system, decided to install the Republicans in this past election cycle. Perhaps foolishly thinking that perhaps they would do what you elected them to do. And finally, reform, in the true sense of the Burkean reform, the immigration system in this nation. But instead, we find out, shockingly, I say that with my full sarcasm on, that John Boehner and Mitch McConnell are fully bought by the Chamber of Commerce in this country, who want unfettered illegal immigration because they like lots of cheap, unskilled labor. Meanwhile, once again, taxpayers are going to be on the hook because we're going to be expected to provide benefits. You know, things like the earned income tax credit, health care, schooling, you know, all of those things. We expected them to do what we sent them there to do. You see, that's what's so infuriating about the modern Republican Party. I expect the left to do these things. <laughs> I fully expect that they're going to do exactly what they're going to do. What I hope out of the party of Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan is a little resistance, a little stand-up for principle. 
I know it's a pie-in-the-sky thing, and I'm, I'm one of those people. Maybe I'm too much the optimist, too much the dreamer, that we can have opposition. Maybe I'm not really right there. I, I know in my mind I should accept that it's just the same thing. One party's like the other party. you know. But you have a hope somewhere deep in your soul that someone is going to stand up and say, enough. We can't have a civil society unless there's an ordered immigration system. We're not all xenophobes. Don't you love that word, xenophobes? That's thrown around. Now, I am an Islamophobe because I'm scared to death of Islamic radicals. So that is actually accurate. You can call me an Islamophobe. You're allowed to do that. But we've got to get the immigration system fixed, really fixed. You know, I, I'm looking through the latest bill that's being pushed through. They're not serious. They're not going to fully fund fencing. They're not going to fully implement the kind of border security that this nation needs, not just to stop the flow of unskilled workers and poor people coming across, but the flow of, I don't know, say terrorists? Weapons? Drugs? I don't know. Lots of things cross the border. Human slaves? But they're not serious. They're more interested in working, as I understand, with this president. I didn't elect these people to work with the president. I elected these people to stop this man, to resist, to use every trick in the book, to use every power that the Constitution allows them to gum up the works and stop this egomaniac. But yet they go along with everything. Want to normalize relations with Cuba? Check. Sure, why not re normalize relations with a, I don't know, a communist genocidal regime? What the hell, right? Hey, let's talk about diplomacy with the Hitlers and the headscarves over in Iran. Why not? You know, our foreign policy, diplomatically speaking, now apparently is to take washed-up folk singers overseas and have a concert. Did anyone catch that travesty? Did anyone sit in their home like I did with their jaw agape watching James Taylor sing, I'm going to be your friend in response to an Islamic terrorist attack in Paris? Did anyone else lose their freaking mind? This is what it's come to. What? Hey, there's been an Islamic attack. We're sending in SEAL Team 6? No, James Taylor and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young are going to go in. They're going to do a set, and everything's going to be cool. Apparently that's our foreign policy right now. Huh. Oh my God. What has this nation come to? you got John Kerry standing in that shot. If anyone's seen the video, it's on YouTube. He's standing there looking like Lurch, like he always does. you got James Taylor tuning his guitar. Uh, the microphone goes kind of askew. Some woman has to hold the microphone while James Taylor tries to remember the words to his own song. You've got a friend, right? That's our response. That's it. That's what we got. we got washed-up singers now. Our foreign policy has become a bad Vegas act. What the hell? What the hell? And we're supposed to sit here 
and say, everything's cool, man. Everything's good. Where's Jeb Bush? Just elect him. We're going to fix all of it. I'm disgusted that we have normalized relations with the genocidal maniacs in Cuba. And I don't care which Republican is who says they're for it. It's ridiculous. And what we're going to we're going to what? We're going to send aid to Iran, billions of dollars. We're going to try to use a diplomatic approach with a country that's building more and more nuclear facilities as we speak. We can normalize relations with Iran, but we can snub the prime minister of our ally in the Middle East, Israel. Smells like anti-Semitism. Hey, let's party like it's 1933 again, because I'm telling you, there's a lot of correlations between what went on in the 30s and what's going on now. There are outbreaks of anti-Semitism across this nation, across Europe. It's kind of scary now that we celebrate the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. We're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism across the world, led by our own president, by the way, because he's the biggest anti-Semite of them all. And there's also a weird undermovement of a conservative movement that's kind of like a little anti-Semite themselves. All right? They need to go away as well. You've got one democracy, one actual ally in the Middle East. We snub them so we can talk to Iran, talk to Syria, talk to the Muslim Brotherhood. What the hell is going on? Seriously. What the hell is going on? Can anyone tell me? Hey, and while we're on the subject of Islam, I mean, after all, this show is called Leftists, Establishment, Wimps, and Islam, oh my. Since we're talking about Islam, you got a magazine in Paris that prints some, oh, I don't know, some questionable cartoons about the Prophet Muhammad, Muhammad, we got people running through the streets, shooting people, protesting, killing people across the globe over a cartoon. Yeah. Now, in this country, we can have an art exhibit in which they take a crucifix, put it in a bucket of piss, call it Piss Christ. And you guys remember the riots and the shootings that the Christians uh, – wait, wait, that didn't happen. But we're told once again – that Christianity is the problem. These fundamentalist Christians are the problem. We can't speak out. We can't even call it Islamic terrorism. We can't call it that because that might offend them. We're told that, you know, we got this movie now, American Sniper, we were talking about earlier, where we have a guy who now apparently the film is fomenting anti-Muslim sentiment. That's what it's doing. Because he, in the movie, apparently was shooting people who, I don't know, kind of deserve shooting. Can we talk about the fact that there are uh, Islamists over across the world that are burning down Christian churches, raping little girls, beheading people, killing people who dare to watch a soccer game, who are making the Nazis look like they're at a Boy Scout jamboree, and we're supposed to, what, not say anything and moderate our position. Well, not on this radio program. I mean, I'm no Kel Fritzy. Don't get me wrong. I'm no, uh, you know, I'm no, uh, I'm no EDL. But I can tell you, this whole Islam thing sucks. You talk about a perversion of so-called religion. 
I hear this all the time. Religion's the problem, man. No, Islamists are the problem. My father was a devout Christian. If you pissed him off, you know what he did? He went and prayed for you. You piss off a Muslim, an extremist, an Islamist, I think they're going to come after you, your family, your city. They're going to burn your, your shit down and they're going to rape your wife. Yeah, I said it. Deal with it. Kind of pissed off. Can you tell? Moderate. And I got the Council of, uh, what is that? The Council of Arab Islam, who, who care? Who are they? I can't remember the, the acronym. That's how mad I am right now. You got these fools lecturing us on Islam. You got them lecturing us about Chris Kyle, a man who shot people on the battlefield. Oh my God, he shot a kid. A kid who was carrying a grenade. A kid who was going to kill American soldiers. And what kind of barbarian sends a woman and a child to do their fighting anyway, may I ask? Oh, the Muslims, they're so, so scary. The blood's going to run red while they send their women and their children out to do their fighting for them. you got to call it what it is, folks. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I have audio right now, audio of the moderate Muslims speaking out against radical Islam. Here it is. Yeah, did you hear that? Yeah, that's right. Because there isn't. Getting sick and tired of hearing this story, too. It's just uh, uh, the moderate ones. Okay, the moderate ones. We have moderate ones. They're not the same. Listen, until they speak out, in my mind, they are the same. You got to speak out against the evil that you see. Because it seems to me that if you're not willing to speak out against it, then perhaps you agree with it. Just saying. Just saying. It frustrates me. Because evil in all of its incarnations is easy to see. As I said, it reminds me much of the 1930s. We could see evil spreading across the world, but it seemed to me the same leftist types, they were kind of enamored with the Nazis, just like they're kind of, you know, they're kind of enamored with the, the Islam. They're kind of enamored with this stuff right now. I don't want to be lectured to. There's no moral equivalency between those people who uh, want to impose Sharia law and those of us who believe in the Constitution of the United States. God-fearing people. Christians, may I say. we got to start calling it as we see it, folks. We cannot let political correctness silence us on what is right. Sorry. Sorry. Just the way it is. And if you're, uh, if you're offended, turn off the damn radio. Turn off your computer. Because I'm not going to shut up. And neither are a whole lot of people out there. Let me give you a little history lesson about Americans in general. Since everybody wants to tell us who we are, let me tell the world who we are. There's something about America. There's something about being an American that makes us, we want to be free. Our forefathers told the greatest military power in the world to go stuff it. Because we, had the, we believe we had the right to chart our own course. We believe that our rights came 
from God. They were un, they were unalienable rights. Through our history, we have done more good in the world. What other nation have you known that has conquered territory and given it back to the people? Usually in better condition than we find it. We have to stand up for who we are as a people and be proud of our history. Be proud of who we are. Do not let the left denigrate us anymore. We're going to get drawn into their talking points and their arguments. Is America perfect? No, because people are imperfect. But our founders were trying to create the most perfect society that man could create, and may I say, they succeeded. We've had our dark moments in American history, and damn well we've corrected it and we've paid the price for it. Don't you want to hear somebody talk with passion? Don't you want to hear somebody espouse the ideas of American exceptionalism? Because I know I do. This is a message to you, Karl Rove, and the Republican establishment. Why are people pissed off? Why is the Tea Party fired up? Why are conservatives, libertarians, so fired up? Because we love our country. We love our liberty. We love our history, and you don't fight for it. You go along to get along. You go along to get your slice of the pie, and we're sick and tired of it. Because at the end of the day, this country belongs to us. Yes, it does. Nothing, ladies and gentlemen, is inevitable unless we believe it is. Maybe I have more akin to Sam Adams. Maybe I'm more of a rabble-rouser. But there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe I'm more akin to Thomas Paine. I don't know. But I know one thing. we got to get fired up, man. we got to get marching. we got to get on the move. We have to be as passionate about our positions as the left is. Because sometimes I believe the problem with the conservative movement is we lose our steam. We don't fight hard enough. This is a battle that's never going to stop. It is constant tension between the left and the right. We have to understand this. We will win battles. We will win some of the wars, but we're not going to win them all. We take the victories and we try to build on them. We try to educate our fellow brothers and our fellow sisters. That's what we have to do. I refuse to accept that America is what it appears to be today, a nation based solely on race and income. People don't try to come here from all the hell holes in the world because this is a place solely based on race and income inequality. They come here because it is still the land of opportunity. I'm sick and tired of the way the left portrays us with their little... Oh, you're a racist and sometimes you don't know it. You don't like poor people because you think there should be welfare reform. We believe as conservatives that sometimes people need a hand up. Sometimes people do need a little help. We don't believe it should be a lifetime 
commitment. We don't believe we should take care of people every time they make a mistake in their life. We believe that sometimes the mistakes we make educate us and make us a better person. That's what we believe. I get sick and tired of hearing these people talk, hearing them bring down this country, hearing them bring down people like Chris Kyle. I can't stand what I hear. I can't stand the fact that we have crony capitalism. That pisses me off too now that I'm on the subject. People cozying up to government to make their wealth instead of coming up with a great idea. It's not who you, it's not what you create, it's who you know. We have to fight that too. As conservatives, we have to understand that. Not every business, not every business, not everything they do is, is, is sacrosanct. We have to fight cronyism when we see it. I want a free market, baby. I want everybody out there innovating to the best of their ability. Throwing it out there and seeing what ideas are good and worthy. I want us to fight for the important principles. And I know that each and every one of you who would spend your time tonight here do that. But we have to take it beyond that. We have to take it into our workplaces. We have to take it to our friends and to our family. And we've got to preach. We've got to preach and we have to preach. We have to get the message out to the people who haven't heard what we know. I've spent a lifetime acquiring knowledge as many of you have. It's time to share that knowledge, baby. It's time to get it out there. If we don't, then this will be the end of the grandest experiment in human history. I don't want to look at the faces of my children and say, Sorry, we lost it for you. Eh, we were too we were too worried about our own selves, our own issues to worry about you and those who come behind us. I think about all those people now who've died on battlefields throughout the world, not just in this war but every war. I think about my own father who served in the frozen Chozon reservoir in Korea. I think about people like Chris Kyle. I think about the young men and women who I saw come back to launch to Germany, injured and battered from this war on terror. They've given much more than any of us will be ever required to give. Can we not stand up? Can we not continue to fight the fight? Sometimes I get tired, ladies and gentlemen. I, I kid you not. I, I get discouraged. When I see the media doing the same old stuff and we're talking about deflated footballs instead of the national debt. When we're being told by the elite that Chris Christie can win and put your social issues on the table. And don't you dare talk about the right of the unborn infant to live. You've got to shut up. You and the Tea Party, quit it. Quit talking. Quit, you know, quit picking on the poor speaker and you know, just vote the way we tell you to. I get discouraged. But I think about all of those people who've sacrificed a hell of a lot more than I will ever have to sacrifice. I think about people who've laid their life down for this country. And I get the energy to continue on. As bad as my life gets from time to time, and ladies and gentlemen, I share with you tonight that here lately it's been a rough patch. I still get up every day with the notion I will fight on. 
I will fight on. Because I love this country. And ladies and gentlemen, I love each and every one of you, my fellow patriots. I love my children. I love my wife. I love everything about being an American. Grateful for the opportunities that I've had. I'm grateful for the time that I get to spend with you when we get to do this. I wish it could be more frequently. I wish it could be all the time like it used to be, but schedules just don't always allow that. But as we wind up the show this evening, once again, let me say thank you. You know, when I signed into my account today, I realized that I have been a part of Blog Talk Radio since August of 2010. How quickly time flies. Looking at my page today, I'm realizing that I have over 200,000 downloads of programs. It's pretty amazing from a guy who started off not even knowing what the hell he was doing. All I knew was I needed to do something. I needed to say something. I've met all kinds of great people along the way. Many of you are here tonight. You guys have helped me learn. You've helped me understand how to form the message that we need. You've made me think about many issues. And I say thank you to all of you. This show, will it's not going to be as regular as I would like it to be, but I will be back from time to time. I'm hoping to get a few times a month in. I try to be very careful not to step on other hosts and their time slots. I know there's a lot of things going on, a lot of shows you guys try to get to. I appreciate that. I try to do my best to schedule the programs so that everybody has an opportunity because I consider you all patriots and brothers in arms, and I really don't like to kind of go up against anybody and take time away from these other programs, but I mention some of these people because I listen. I may not be there live all the time, but I do listen to the programs. You know, Brian, you know, Smokey and, and Ron and, and RZ, the great Holger, all of you folks, Annie from Southern Sense. I listen, I learn. Thank you to all of you. It's always good to get this emotion out. It's good to talk to you, this audience. So thank you very much. I am going to wind the show up tonight. And I'm going to do just uh, just kind of a fade out tonight. I know it's a little bit early, but we're going to go ahead and let you people get out of here, crash for the night, get some sleep, get some rest. Because most of you probably got jobs and such. You got families and such. So until next time, I say to you, God bless America. God bless the soldier. God bless you, the patriots. We'll see you again really soon, I promise. Hopefully I can make it to some of these other programs from time to time. I hope to make it to RZ's program on Friday as I have a little break in the schedule. I took uh, Super Bowl Sunday off foolishly thinking that my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers would be playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that didn't work out that well. But nevertheless, I have I have a weekend off, and maybe I can creep around to some of these great programs and take a listen live and interact with all of you because I do miss that part of it, interacting with all of you fellow patriots. So to all of you, good night, God bless, and I truly must be going. Well, I'm certainly grateful for this magnificent washout, a turnout, and uh, now I'd like to say a few words. Hello? I must be going. I cannot say I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. La la.